Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Wednesday, March thirtieth. My name is Jake my Luke. I'm yeah. <laughs> Wednesday, my dudes. Forgot about that. It is Wednesday, my dudes. My name is Jake Luke, uh, and I'm joined on screen by uh, two handsome young fellas. It's Spencer Nathaniel Schultz and uh, Cole Jackson. How's it going, gentlemen? What's going on, boys? Uh, your intro video is better than mine, and it really bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should, uh, yeah. Maybe you should work on that. You've got all, you've got all the other bells and whistles. You got a nice, uh, really nice, clean backdrop set up there. Maybe a little too professional, a little too, you know, good boy for my taste. I Man, when I get on work calls with this, like when you work for the government in Canada, and I'm talking about in, Indigenous emergency management policy, and they look at the background, and they're like, "What? What are you? Like, yeah. What is going on?" Yeah, you that's got to be. What is that big purple bird you have there? <laughs> Well, to is be that fair, the Carlton Ravens, like, yeah, I mean, it's not like you have uh, half naked George Costanza reelect Frank Sabatka <laughs> and uh, Jimmy the Gent getting hauled off by uh, whoever that law enforcement agency is, and you know, a smattering of other things that I got going on here. But uh, yeah, you, you got quite the setup there. But uh, how's it going, bud? I'm doing good, guys. I'm doing good. I, uh, I, I mean, I keep telling people I'm just uh, the next month is going to drag. Like we're this is where it's like four weeks of you know March Madness is coming to an end, and then April drags. Like baseball starts, which is good. Uh, Jays should be competitive this year, so at least I have that to look forward to. But I'm just ready for the draft. You know, I'm sick of. There's only so many times I can get into a spaces and talk about Tyler Linderbaum. Like I'm just ready to get this thing going. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm assuming we're going to be talking about Tyler Linderbaum a little bit tonight, and uh, that's a guy that is somehow one of the more polarizing prospects uh, of this draft class for the Ravens, I feel like, which is weird for just this, like, unassuming white dude, you know, coming from Iowa in the Kirk Ferentz program. Um, but I don't know. I obviously will we'll get into that. Uh, Spen, how's it going, pal? Going quite well. I've, I feel a little the opposite. I don't think I'm ready yet. I've, I've tried to pace myself out. I'm trying to uh, participate in the activity upon which we do this podcast. I'm, I'm spacing myself out. I've taken a little break. I've kind of tried to let everybody, this is the point where I feel like I've watched enough tape that I started with my own opinion. And now I'm just starting to like try and hear people out, go through and look through their lens and see if I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Or no, I'm sticking with my guns. 
Um, so I still have a little bit more tape to watch as a whole. I think I, of the last couple of years, I probably am, I don't want to say behind, but I think I'm pacing myself very well to not have that drudging feeling. So I'm excited. We're, we're three episodes in now to the beatdown big board and offensive line, man. This is a big position for the Ravens in this draft. Maybe the one that can make or break this team. And depending on how they, they fare in this draft over the next couple of years, even so really excited for this episode, excited for this group in general. And I think this is one of the best offensive line classes the last couple of years, really, especially, you know, there is some top, some, you know, we mentioned Linderbaum, a couple other guys at the top, obviously the, the ones everybody knows. And there's also some really good depth. I don't know that there's been like third round tackles in a while. Um, and, and maybe we see a crazy run on them and we'll get into it, but um, I'm, I'm excited. I think this is a unique year offensive line wise in the last few years, at least. Specifically left tackle has been, it's weird. Like last year it was like Spencer Brown and then you're kind of Landon Young and Stone Forsythe, but that was it. And this year it's like, well, if you listen to people, if you listen to some people, Stone Forsythe was like freaking the second coming of Anthony Munoz whenever he went. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's an interesting uh, way that people kind of marry need or kind of retroactive needs to uh, what's, you know, going on with a draft class. But, Guilty uh, as charged with the stories. Listen, I, I'm not even calling you or anyone specifically out. It's just like you see like all these things about, oh, fucking Ben Mason. Like, you know, what are they doing? You know, Sean Wade, like these guys, what are they doing? And, you know, obviously, you know, hindsight is 2020. They, that was the wrong move at the time. But I don't know, guys. I, I Some of these some of these late round kind of tackle prospects, I don't know if they were going to be quite the, um, quite the, you know, save your calling that some people thought they might have been. But uh, that's why we're here talking about this uh, class in the way that we're going to be tonight, uh, because they do need help along the offensive line for for the fact that they did not address it in the correct way ahead of the 2021 season. And for the fact that uh, that was kind of um, doubled down on uh, by the fact that Ronnie Stanley's injury flared up again. And uh, they have a little bit of a question at right ta- or at left tackle still with his health. Uh, still kind of being a major question. So they signed Morgan Moses at right tackle to a very reasonable contract. He is presumably your starter there. Juwan James still kind of in the picture there, hanging around on that one-year deal, extremely cheap. Uh, they're loving his work ethic from everything we're hearing. Uh, so that's all great. Um, Gavin Zietler is still going to be in the picture. J.C. Treader is still in the market at center, as Cole has pointed out every day for the last consecutive couple of weeks, it feels like at this point. Uh, left guard. Who knows? Ben Cleveland, one of the one of you know, there's just too many Bens right now, and they got rid of one of them last year, and that might have been the wrong move. Funny enough, but uh, they they got you know some guys there in the mix, and then yeah, like I said, at left tackle, a little bit of a question with Stanley, but it's a good year to need offensive linemen and a good year to need cornerbacks. And those are two of the biggest positions of need, and we're talking about it tonight with O line. So, uh, guys, who are uh, some of the people jumping off the board to you? At 14 overall, where the Ravens are assuredly going to be having some questions to ask themselves in regards to this position group and that pick. Well, let's start first. You know, there's the two, Evan Neal, Iki Aquanu at the top. Um, For the sake of the exercise, probably going to exclude them from the beatdown big board poll. Assume both of them are gone. Uh, To me, Neal is like, you're going to hit a double no matter what. He's going to be a solid starter. And he can play on the right side. He can play on the left side. He's very, he connects very often in the run game. He connects to his block very often. He is effective enough in the run game very, very often. So I think you're polished there. Um, Smooth pass setter, length, knows it. Athlete, knows it. Maybe not the nastiest guy on earth, but you see it here and there. 
um, can bend at the knees, can move in space, uh, can down block, can move guys off the ball enough, can, can you know, like I said, work some combos, get out in space a little bit. So I think he just checks every box um, slowly, including the fact that he was a, a very competent right tackle as well. So at the top of the draft, a couple teams there that have some funny situations, left tackle, right tackle, you know, Texans have Tunsil and Jaguars have Robinson and all of those things. So that, that makes him interesting. And um, overall, you know, overall, Neil is just, I don't know, good, good player. And it's funny enough, like Cam Robinson, I, I think he can probably be a better athlete than him. But looking at that Jaguars team, I'm like, yeah, it's probably going to be a pretty effective, you know, I think that's a nice lower-ish range outcome, middle 50 outcome for him where he ends up being that nice tackle that's not maybe like Tyron Smith at any point in his career, but is always effective, is always you know going to be uh, consistent ultimately in both the run game, in the pass game, and being able to be versatile. And he definitely has, like he played guard in 2019, and I think if, if he does end up on the Jags for, just to give an example, um, you know, kicks inside and, and is there while they figure out what to do with Cam Robinson, you know, is he the long-term play? Um, he'd be on a long list of guys that have started at guard and gone on to be very good tackles. So, and then Ike Aquani is kind of like, I see, I guess this is the best way to look at it. I don't see a scenario where Evan Neal's not starting on an offensive line for at least five years. I can see scenarios where Evan Neal may not be one of the top 10 tackles in the league. Um, so it's that high floor, a bit lower, I wouldn't say low ceiling, um, but lower ceiling than a guy like Icky. And Icky is just the complete package of of traits that you want. He's he's got some things to fix. Um, all these guys coming at you realistically. But um, you know, he's he's got the athleticism, he's plays with good length. Um, he's got uh really, 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 really quick feet, um, oversets to the point where I think he hasn't really learned to trust his set. Um, or his set point, I think he, it's almost like he arrives to his set point earlier than he's expecting. And then he panics and takes an extra step. Uh, so he opens those in, interior pass rush lanes. And I think that's where he gives up the pressure, but and ter- like he's scheme diverse, he can do it all. Um, he's nasty. He, he enjoys putting people on the ground. Um, he set s- stupid records for, for pancake blocks and all that good stuff. So, I mean, he's, he's the, I, I would say lower floor because, um, you know, he's going to have to, he's going to have to fix a set point. That's just the reality. Um, but he has all the tools to do it. Uh, but his, his ceiling is stupid high. Um, so th- that's kind of your, I would say consensus top two. I, I personally have Charles Cross, I think higher than Evan Neal on my list. Um, but that's just because I think he's your natural top pass protector. And I really think teams might value that highly. Um, I really could see all three of these guys going top six, to be real. Definitely. Um, and Icky is just so explosive, like you said. And you see him, it's especially in those those landmarks on like the 45 sets. He just gets there a little quick. And, and like you said, isn't patient if he gets there pretty quickly. Feels like he, he thinks he needs to keep going. So just needs to be slowed down a tick. Um, you know, he comes out of his out of the out of his stance so quickly on his outside zone, you know, kickouts and everything like that. And it allows, you know, that that window where his hips open too early or something like that allows someone to cross his face. But the dominant play is there. The ability to be an impact blocker that is denting a hole in a front and is tenaciously opening up rushing lanes and like willing a team to victory. 
I, I don't want to say tra- like not Trent Williams, but like can have a game to that level here and there. Not you know Trent Williams does it consistently somehow, but can have those games where it's like wow, Ike Aquanu was a really major reason why they won that game as an impact blocker, which is kind of vague, I know, but um, the explosiveness, you know, the long ass days. Long, you don't have long days against the tallest guy in the world either. Like he's not, he's not some six seven tackle, but he's got a crazy wingspan, and he's that explosive. So he can really get up under guys um, and and really drive into you and, and manipulate your entire frame so violently with how much strength he has and how much explosion he has. It's it's fun to watch. He's he's really fun to watch. Yeah, it might be like a level of competition thing too. But he looks so freaking big on film, and like he was the first guy that I watched, and like. I don't this. I don't know if he had like a ton of preseason buzz. It was like the top guy, but when I watched him, it was just one of those things where it just clicked for me. Like this guy is gonna blow people away. Like he's just out there bullying dudes, and it seems like he just takes he takes exception to people being in his way or in the play's way, and he just punishes dudes into the ground over and over. He doesn't lose that tenacity. Like I said, he plays pretty tall. He's he's the one for me over Neil. Um, I like Neil a lot, but it does feel like there's more upside with Icky. It feels like they're this might be a little bit unfair. It feels like there's a little more personality with him, which like, I, I don't know how much that really matters, but I feel like when it comes down to that, you, you're talking about making a guy a face of your franchise, maybe a uh, franchise left tackle to protect somebody like Trevor Lawrence, for example, uh, having a guy like that. And uh, especially like I, this isn't like to knock on Neil or anything either, but uh, like you've got Zierlein throwing things out about Neil, not having the best like football IQ in some situations. So I think, I don't know, I just, I like Icky a, a little bit better. Uh, Neil, to your guys' point, very high floor. Just a very solid player. Um, maybe a little one-dimensional would be my only complaint. Kind of just feels like kind of that north-south guy. Uh, and I, I think he'd excel in a certain, you know, certain run sets where he's getting into open space and just punishing guys as well. But, uh, yeah, two very solid, solid top guys. And I think you guys broke them all down in a better way than I could. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those are your top two guys in a class that is very strong and, uh I think they both deserve to be at the top. And you could throw Cross in there, certainly, Cole. Uh, I wouldn't blame you. He's kind of in my next tier as well. But uh, off to a very hot start with these two. And honestly, guys, wouldn't be surprised if they start to slide a little bit. Ravens get a little bit frisky and jump up and grab one of them. And and what really, for Aquanu, this is a tough, tough kind of brain twister. But he so much of him reminds me of Makai Becton, while Becton is a very different frame just the same attitude, the same kind of tenaciousness. Icky gets a little bit out ahead of himself. He's smaller. He's a little more nimble and explodes a little bit. But just really, you go back, and it, maybe it's just ACC football too, but really has a lot of similarities to me and just the, the strikes, the way that he finishes with the length and the explosiveness from his upper body and can really just toss guys. Like linebackers in space can get them five yards off the ball with an extension of an arm and a, and a drive. Um, so I, I see some shades of Becton in there, and he's just like more normally sized than Becton, which I don't know makes makes you a little more comfortable. But uh, someone that you know, n- you're not surprised to see him play guard a bit and tackle a bit in his career. And I think that's what's unique about this class. There's a lot of guys where it feels like they have experienced versatility that you've seen to some degree, and and that makes it a lot easier to project it in terms of moving positions or sides or whatever it is. And both of the top guys have some versatility already on the books, which is very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Both, both have skill sets to project inside for sure. Um, including Neil having the actual tape to, to show him doing it. And and that's where 
I think you could make an argument that kind of knocks Cross down as he doesn't. I'm like I know he repped at, at right tackle at uh, at Mississippi State's pro day, but does he actually have a skill set that would project to being a right tackle? It really depends on the scheme you're projecting him into, but it's not as seamless as the other two. Certainly. So I guess let's get into Cross, moving us into that that next category, so to speak. Um, like you said, Cole, you know, to me. I like him as the best pass protector. I think he just is the smoothest. I think his vertical set is tried, true. His set point is comfortable. He knows where it is. He knows how to work against different types of rushers pretty well. Um, he can get beat across the face at times, which feels like he, he relies maybe a little bit too much on his length in that set point. And if a guy kind of beats him to the spot or, or is just a little off to the races uh, before his length is there and before his frame's there, that's the only place I really see him lose with any consistency. Uh, just was really, really, really fantastic this past year. The IQ on like stunts and when guys are twisting and looping and everything, always very clean. Um, you know, people knock his strength. I, I like what I see from his anchor, though. I think I think he knows how to like wait until he really can drive through his hips and and stall a rush out. Sometimes it is a little late, and maybe that margin for error, you know, is going to go up or go down in the NFL and uh, can lead to some early struggles, perhaps. But I just think he's a smooth operator. Some of the cleanest pass sets I can remember, really. Um, love him. Love him in pass in his vertical sets, his 45, everything he does in pass sets. I just have no bad things to say about it, really. Moves like into a set like Andre Karolinko on 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 the when he's when he's when he's closing out on a wing. Like I don't know how to explain it. It's just fluid. Um AK 47, what up? Uh it's just it's it look he looks plays like basketball player, uh playing defense. Like he's just smooth, natural. Um, you know, it's, it, he's, he's going to be a good pro. I think where the, the strength thing is interesting because you can have a strong anchor and not be powerful in the run game. And I think that's where it gets murked where people don't see him being, he's a pusher in the run game. I think my, my guy, James Ogden said it best. He's, he's a pusher, not a bulldozer. And so you see that you see them running zone. You don't see a lot of finishing blocks. You think, guys, oh, you know, kind of, it's kind of I think he's very comparable to Ronnie Stanley. Um, I really do. I see a lot of those shades of him coming out of Notre Dame where you could see the pass pro was, it was going to be, it was going to be NFL level. Um, I had very little doubts about it. I had a lot of concerns about his run game. I had some concerns about, uh, about his power at the point of attack. And that's what really took Stanley to the next level as an NFL left tackle. It was once in 2019 when he started making, again, they weren't, powerful down blocks they were running power to the right non-stop they were running a lot of veer uh to the left where he's hitting those arc releases and getting guys out in space and once he started finesse blocking and just doing his job and closing guys out that's what really advanced him i think into the elite level of left tackles was his ability to put everything together um with left tackles it's always going to be your pass pro is going to be what you're known for um but your run blocking still needs to be good to be in that top tier and that's what got stanley there that's the same type of path i see that cross needs to go down um but i do think people see lack of power in the run game you know not a not the and i actually he he's finishes blocks it's not that he doesn't so it's not like he's soft oh, db in um, space he wants to murder them yeah yeah and so but but that doesn't translate like the lack of power in the run game does not translate to a to a, to a bad anchor just like a good vertical set doesn't mean you're athletic in the run game. It's two different movements. It's two different traits. Um, so it's, it, that gets conflated when people talk old line play. Um, but you can't really show me too many. The only concern I have is he's coming from a quick pass air raid offense. 
Um, he wasn't asked to hold blocks for a long time. We have, didn't see a lot of redirecting. Um, doesn't mean he can't do it. It's just that's not what he is on tape from his. But anytime he did have to do it, he looked fine. It's just not you're not getting a lot of you know sample to work off of. So um, I think that's going to be you know he comes from a scheme friendly system, but I mean a vertical set's a vertical set's a vertical set. So I mean he looks clean, he moves fluidly. Um, yeah, he's got everything. Hands, hands are he's an he's an armpit crusher, man. It's it's always tight in those armpits. That's what gives me some confidence in the run game a little bit. I think he naturally can find strike points. I think he understands that hand-to-hand combat aspect of where I need to put my hands in order to control someone um, ultimately. So that, that's what gives me a little more confidence in the projection there. But, yeah, uh, love the player. Like, I, I don't hate Ronnie Stanley. I, I know I think uh, Brandon Thorne had Ryan Clady on him, which yeah. is uh, another good one. But I, I love the player. I think you're just getting – and I like the Tunsil. I really like the Tunsil comp for him actually um, as well. And, and Tunsil may be a little bit more of just a stout, burly guy and, and take that for what you want into the run game in ways. But it just doesn't get much better in pass pro, and I think he's ready. And like you said, all those vertical sets, you can leave him on an island early against you know some, some decent edge rushers, and I think he'll pretty quickly pick it up uh, even, even quicker than maybe like Icky would. In, in terms of consistency, set to set to set to set over the course of an entire game um, and, and kneel again too. So for my money, I, I do think I like cross in the vertical set aspect the most. And like you said, play action stuff, what do you be doing in the Ravens offense? You know, more 45 or more jumping, quick setting guys, trying to get on the, you know, if it's a front side of play action or whatever it is. Um, some of those things definitely could have a learning curve for sure. But I just don't see... Someone who moves like that with the hand placement and enough strength and knowing when to anchor, um, failing. I, I very am very much confident in him to be a successful pass protector at the next level. And to our point about matching up with value, this was the first guy that I watched, uh, you know, with the other two that we already talked about, where I was like, okay, this guy in play for the Ravens at 14 on like 100% probably. And he might go, uh, might go a little bit earlier than that, but uh, I think he's going to be in consideration for them for sure. To all the points you guys mentioned, just a smooth operator, that's the right word. The hand usage really jumps out. Just super active hands um, all the time um, and smooth and pass protection, like you said. And, you know, he's not like, like you guys said, he doesn't have the horses in the back in the run game, but like he, the effort is there, which you certainly like. And maybe you could coach that up. And certainly with a guy like Jody Alessandris, I could see that being coached up a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, he's just a guy who I think pretty much checks off all the boxes of what they're looking for if replacing Stanley does become a question or if they just want to have a little bit of depth there. Uh, in the meantime, while Morgan Moses is holding that position down. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's certainly worthy of being in that conversation with the top guys, but I think as opposed to the other two, he is going to be in striking distance for them much more so. Would not be surprising. That's, that's how Vegas has it right now. Um, I, a couple of years ago was like Andrew Thomas is my OT one. And lo and behold, I think he kind of shocked some people in that same class with Beckton and Wills and Worfs. Um, and again, I, re- I really wouldn't be shocked to see someone like cross better. And if you're an offense, I don't know the, not that they're picking high, but the bills. Um, and I think really Joe Brady's Carolina offense. Now it's not anymore, but that's one that was going to ask your left tackle to be on that Island to vertical set a ton, go empty a ton. And I think would have made a lot of sense. So I would not be shocked to see an offensive coordinator look at that and be like, or an offensive kind of staff look at that and be like, he's the one who's going to be ready to vertical set. But uh, we'll see. There, there certainly could be parity in there. 
But it feels like Neil is kind of the golden boy with the school he went to, the versatility, the size. You know, it just really checks all those boxes. Um, but I guess with that, we can move into some of the more interesting characters. Um, Tyler Linderbaum, obviously. And another guy that I would like to group, I would say that for me, uh, just initial comment before we get into it, I mean, Zion Johnson is nothing to sneeze at, talking about interior offensive line prospects that are ready to play and are going to enhance an offense. Um, so I think those two guys are certainly very exciting for teams picking in the middle of the first round. So, Cole, take us into your your Linderbaum Johnson thoughts, if those guys are grouped to you at all or uh, anywhere you want to go with it, my friend. So my hot take of the offensive line class is that Zion Johnson goes top 10, and I think he might go seven to the Giants. I could see I could also see him going to the Jets, um, depending on what they what they think of Fant and Beckton getting back. And, um, you know, they, they took Vera Tucker early, and people were like, oh, don't take a guard early. Um, he didn't look very good, but if they if they really want to solidify that old line, which I think they do, um, and it, it, they're kind of in a similar situation as us. They've had two years in a row, Beckton injuries. Um, when he's played, he looks the part. I mean, it's not the same. Ronnie Stanley's much more proven, but you get what I mean. Um, they have that fluidity, and so they brought Moses in to be kind of their swing last year, and then he ended up playing in game one because Beckton went down. So I, I think Zion Johnson could go that high. Um, Zion Johnson's just a complete package kind of guy. And I think he's really going to thrive on a zone team. Uh, I don't think he's zone only. Um, and we'll get into that with Linderbaum, but I think he would project really well in that spot. Really fluid mover. Um, played, like in a, a, played in a uh, triple option offense for Boston college at Davidson. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Boston college runs a ton of zone too. So it's uh, it looks like a natural fit there. Um, and so I, that's kind of how I see him. He's, but he, he doesn't lack power at the point of attack, um, fluid mover, uh, just, just, a, just a baller. Um, he, 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 the thing that intrigues me about him is if the Ravens have that type of confidence in Stanley's injury, the fact that he, you know, he could be there at 14 and the fact that he was taking reps at center, um, he might give them a guard center type option. So, if, if they deemed him best player available, I could kind of see the fit. Uh, curious kind of what you think about that, though. Yeah, the the center experiment in Mobile was definitely a learn-on-the-job situation. Saw him lose some reps really badly in his first time playing center. Saw him start to get the hang of it a little bit against some some pretty top-notch competition. Uh, to me, though, I mean, I, I, I think he's a guard, man. I think he's just a little bit short, but he's got plenty of length. I think that he is stout. I think that he can work double teams. Um, you always see him really sticking an elbow into a hip, hitting in the the le- in the center of gravity and moving guys on those double teams. I think that he can work a lot as a puller and, and do a lot of things. And again, coming out of that Davidson kind of triple option attack, whenever he's asked to pull, you see it. You see it smooth. You see it consistent. And I do think he's effective enough driving guys off the ball. Um, I think he's a little overall, you know, against like a monster type, I don't know, like an Akeem Hicks type. I think he can lose a rep after the initial lockout in like a drive block situation if it's square and and kind of can't really manipulate enough. He'll reset really well, always trying to reset his hands and refit um, to win. But I, I think that's kind of like the one knock is that against some of the top notch kind of interior run defenders, he will not be able to sustain blocks because he's just not kind of built quite thick enough as well. Um, but I, I really, 
a lot, a lot of talk about moving him to center, but I really still think he's going to be a guard. I think that um, it, it, everything's there that you want to see. One of the better guard prospects in recent years, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he's mobile. I think he's nasty. I think he's clean. I think he mirrors really well. He has independent feet. You can kind of see him like not always have to shuffle both feet when he's trying to slide. Um, you can see him go one and then the other and then anchor. Or excuse me, you can see him move the same foot kind of twice and into an anchor. Um, so I think he's just very aware of when to really lock out an attack and drive an anchor and those kinds of things. So smart player, vers- you know, versatile player scheme-wise, and going to be a good-ass guard, going to be a really good guard. Pittsburgh Steelers, if they don't end up getting a quarterback, I think could use a guy like him yeah. uh, inside. I think that would be a really great fit for them. Um, a couple other teams towards those 20s I think are a good fit too. So it's a very exciting guard prospect to me. Yeah, a guy that um, who I think and like I I would agree with you that I think he doesn't really look very big on tape, and I do kind of like the projection to guard, and I can also only evaluate what I watched on tape, so that's kind of what I see him as and project him as anyway. Not really knowing what went down in Mobile with him trying out at center. I guess the more versatility you have, the better. But if it didn't work out, then it didn't work out, and you like him at guard, which I liked him just fine. Um, maybe as more of that late first round prospect, um, and a guy who. Just one small observation. It just seems like he knows how to strike. He knows aim small, miss small. He knows where to hit a guy, how to you know execute leverage very well uh, from what I saw. So another another fun watch here. And um, he's a guy who I know, Cole, you were asking about like a fit for them. I would probably prefer a trade down, but um, yeah, he, he would be in the mix for me as well. And in the same way that you know we're going to talk about Kenyon Green, it feels like if you're talking about plug-and-play type guard, uh, that, that would certainly be a guy in that conversation. Yeah, and then on to Linderbaum. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to drone on about. I've talked about him more than probably any prospect that I've talked about in this class. But um, he's his own center. I don't know what else to tell you guys. Uh, you know, he's his own center. He's a hell of a zone center prospect. Uh, very like in, in, insane movement skills. Like his, he didn't test because of like an ankle issue. But I mean, his shuttle time may have been up there with running backs. Like that's just his his type of fluidity and space. Um, it's freakish. It's it's exactly what you want in outside zone and wide zone concepts. Um, creates leverage really well. Uh, has that farm boy strong hands. Um, you see it in the pass protection game. I think that's kind of the. It doesn't get enough talked about because we we talk about the run game fit all the time. But he's an incredible pass protector. He he he's consistently low good pad level. Creates leverage with his hands. Um, attacks the armpits. Uh, you know, locks in on the chest pad. It's just, it's consistent. It's good. Um, He's able to create that leverage that kind of compensates for a lack of size playing at 290 against bigger one techs. Um, Doesn't get that leverage advantage in the run game. So that's really, you know, I, what I did when I watched him and Spencer and I watched him together, I tried to isolate those drive block situations where he was one-on-one even in his own play or anytime he did run a gap concept, you know, what does he look like when he, cause with the way the run, Ravens run power, their center needs to down block one-on-one because of the garden tackler running a dual or a deuce block constantly. Um, that's just how it's designed. Guard pulls behind the deuce block, opens a hole. Um, so that center needs to blow his man off the line and not give up ground. And I just think he's going to struggle at power at the point of attack against bigger one tech, specifically guys in the AFC North. I think he's going to see six times a year. So that's really what it comes down to me in terms of fit. Um, hell of a mover, hell of a prospect. Almost sounds like I don't like him as a prospect. I love him as a prospect. He's a very, very good center prospect. Just don't see him as a fit for the Ravens. Um, 
I don't think he's going to translate to a gap-oriented offense. Yeah, one of the best combo working to the second level combo blockers, the, the pace out of his blocks to go hit that three-tech and then move fluidly up to the second level is a like a 100 out of 100 in those situations. Yeah. Uh, maybe... Maybe the best I've seen. Maybe the best I've seen uh, probably is in those situations being, you know, free to release combo block, not getting stacked at the line of scrimmage. Um, outstanding, like you said, in space. So those things are nice. Uh, you know, great mover. The the downside, the only downside I see in pass protection from him is it's just a bigger, more explosive rusher. He has a lot of two-hand strikes, it feels like, in, in one-on-one situations, which isn't too often for a center, but you know, if he misses with one, it throws him off kilter and he's pretty late, but I think he does a good job at least staying square, staying in front and, and being able to recover to an extent where, you know, you can see him getting collapsed into the pocket sometimes um, in, in bad games for him. I think you'll see him get pushed in, but still not going to be someone who gives up very many sacks. Ultimately looks for work with the best of them. Um, really, really, really always wants to look for work, and that's always going to stand out on film. You're always going to want to see your center helping because, like I said, a lot of times they're uncovered, um, all of those things. But like Cole said, it's just it's just tough for me, and I think Creed Humphrey really is just poisoning my mind with it because Humphrey can drive guys off the ball and can work in zone concepts, can do all of those things, and I just don't – it just doesn't click why Linderbaum gets drafted so high in, in – these mock drafts we've all yeah. seen. Humphrey, you know, maybe there was injury concerns with his knee or something, but falls I out. don't know if you guys saw this, just on that note, because I did find it interesting. So the athletic mock, uh, Jay-Z did it for the Ravens. Like every writer took their team and they did a live mock. And Linderbaum fell out of the first round. And so it was funny because when the Bengals writer, I, I don't know who it is, but when he wrote it up for, and Brugler did the analysis on each pick. So he said, you know, stared at Tinder, Tyler Linderbaum here for a long time, but just there was a better player available. And I think he took Tyler Gordon out of Washington. Um, and I just find it's going to be very hard for teams to pick him high because there's probably going to be a better player available than a center at in the first round. And I mean, centers have gone in the first round recently. You have, I think there was six in the last couple of years. Like uh, you got Billy Price, you got Ryan Bradbury. Kelly, you got Bradbury, you got... Uh, Oh God! Uh, yeah, there, I think there was six since 2015. So it's not that they don't go in the first round. Usually, it's between like Caesar Ruiz was another one. Usually, it's between 24 and 18 ish. Um, 14 is just high. Uh, even in a trade back, I still don't like it. I don't see the fit. I see much better fits at a later round where you're not going to take on the risk that if you're picking a center at 14, he better be damn good early. And if he fit the scheme and the Ravens ran Gary Kubiak scheme from 2014, I'd probably have a much different opinion, but they don't. And if that's just what it comes down to for me. Right. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you, you want to think about your scheme. You want to think about how long you want to run your kind of scheme, all of those questions ultimately. But um, yeah. And again, you know, just even, it's not even just that he's lighter and doesn't show the ability to drive off the ball, um, all of those things, but he also, does have really short arms. He does have a really tiny wingspan. So, for instance, Zion Johnson, who, who's getting projected to center here, um, has a six foot ten and three eighth wingspan, thirty four inch arms. You know, Linderbaum thirty one and an eighth, six foot three. So again, it's like he doesn't show the ability to drive off the ball when he does get somebody square, and he does have to rush to the second level. Like 
he is so good in his combo blocks because it feels like he is a hard worker. He is smart. He needs to, he understands I have to beat my man to his spot because I have a smaller margin for error. I'm not going to have length to wash somebody out in space. I need to get my, my square frame into them quickly with urgency. Um, so again, I, I just think Garrett Bradbury is very similar, maybe a little less polished, a little, little less, you know, spectacular in those ways, but still get like Garrett Bradbury didn't do it for me then. And Iowa Garrett Bradbury is not doing it quite to that level for me now. Um, the way Creed Humphrey did for me last year. And and that's what all kind of swirls in my mind and confuses me. But at the end of the day, you know, scheme can come and go. They can switch to a different scheme over time, whatever. People are worried about snaps. People are worried about this and that and the other. But there's other guys in this class that I like a lot at the center position too that don't have quite as high as, you know, Linderbaum, but think you can get a starting center, maybe a Cam Jurgens, a guy I really like in this class late. But if, if, Center is not something they're worried about. We heard them say McCary is their, you know, coup de gras at the center position and uh, that they're going to roll with him for now and whatever. Then it just it just doesn't make a lot of sense that he's, you know, kind of a consensus player getting mocked there and all those things. But like you said, you know, don't hate the player. I think he's one of the best combo blockers that I've ever seen um, in terms of helping and then getting to the second level. But it's just, uh, it's just, it's just hard, a hard pill to swallow at 14 couple things think, it's it's like oh, sorry. no yeah sorry it's like Kirk Ferentz like makes these guys in a lab right and the Ravens love that about them and they love Kirk Ferentz who has ties to the organization um and that's great um but this guy's not going to be Marshall Yonda like we don't have to make that comparison which I think DaCosta might have inadvertently done and that set off a chain reaction of people mocking Linderbaum to them at 14 because of that it's like I don't know if that's totally the tangible connection that we need to talk need to talk about here my guess is the guy is going to be a very solid pro at absolute worst, but yeah, I'm with you guys in that I wouldn't necessarily love him at 14 either. Uh, just looks like a solid player, but to your point, Cole, I don't know if the fit is totally there and the value I certainly don't think is there. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's a pretty, pretty tough conversation. Ultimately. Uh, I think a lot of people really do love him in that spot. And uh, I, I don't know. I, it just seems like a little bit too much of like, and I, I think the other point that I wanted to make was I think people want to lock down the center position really badly right now because Bozeman just left. And because you have all these, you know, you have a little bit of uncertainty on other spots on the offensive line. And it just feels like, you know, they've made the Moses move, which is a solid starter on the right side, but it feels like with the uncertainty there, I just feel like there's some anxiety among Ravens fans right now who feel like if they don't get Treader, then that's kind of a big miss and they're going to be kind of boned there along the offensive line if they don't do something in the draft. And they're looking at this maybe as like a last resort. And I don't know if we totally need to look at it that way, guys. I think like there, there is such a thing as overcorrecting an issue and over-investing an issue. And if you see that you have an issue on the offensive line, you don't have to do what the Chiefs did last year and just throw literally every single thing at it. And I mean, like to their credit, like that worked out to an extent, but look what happened to them in the second half against the Bengals in the AFC championship game. Uh, they started getting bitch slapped a little bit by that Kansas City defensive line. So, I don't know. You definitely want to invest in it. You want to fix it, but you don't want to overstudy for the test. You don't want to overcorrect yourself. And I think reaching for a prospect like this at 14, where there's probably going to be a lot better prospects available, or at least a couple better prospects available, I think you really need to kind of take a step back if you're DaCosta and really weigh that, which I think he's smart enough to do. Yeah, and I think, you know, we didn't even get into this, but the Ravens just don't value center. Uh, you know, they, they did make Bradley Bozeman a contract offer. Um, from what I understand, it was reasonably priced in line with the market that Ben Jones and uh, 
Brian Allen got, uh, and he didn't accept it. So, um, you know, this isn't the first rodeo where they've been replacing with a UDFA slash mid to late round pick. Uh, they haven't, I think the highest they've drafted a center is Jason Brown in, in 2005 in the fourth round of pick 127. They haven't, they just don't invest there. Um, so, you know, use past history to tell me how you'll act moving forward and they're not going to draft Tyler Linderbaum. I got a hundred dollar bet on it already. So. There's actually a Ozzie Newsom quote there. The best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. There it is. Nick Saban, Ozzie Newsom, Michael Scott. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky. Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could have said everybody saw that. That, that, that joke was telegraphed from outer space, but yeah, uh, all of those things, Linderbaum, just again, it, uh, I, I really think Creed Humphrey, there's this buzz about Linderbaum. He's so great in space and running 50 yards down the field. That's all fantastic. Humphrey just made this huge impact for the Chiefs, but he's just not Humphrey again at the end of the day. I, it is so rare, especially for a zone-type center to come in in today's NFL and make a day one top-of-the-first-round impact would be just wild. I, I The second-best center... Creed Humphrey is my highest graded center in the last couple of years. I've been doing this. My second best graded is Eric McCoy. And he has been pretty damn solid and still probably not justified to take him at 14 um, coming out of Texas A&M a couple of years ago. And, and he's, has been a good pro. I remember and, you being high on him. Yeah. Has been a, a pretty solid pro down in new Orleans and all those things. So it's just, it's really hard when you know that there are limitations there at that position when you're picking that high and you usually never pick that high. All of those things are a perfect storm away from Linderbaum there, but maybe they shock the world. Um, I guess moving into the next kind of class of guys, I think we can lump together are most likely Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa, the, the big, the big nasty Bernard Raymond, the, uh, the Austrian chocolate boy uh, coming out of, coming out of, coming out of <laughs> Willie Monk's chocolate factory. <laughs> and then we've got uh, Indian mean green coming out of Texas A&M as well. Do love me some Texas A&M offensive line, but to me that kind of feels like the guys that could get scattered anywhere throughout the middle of the first round through the end into the second round early on. Um, those guys all have kind of like a weak point or a limitation, but also have a lot of good tape, and that limitation is not completely debilitating in them. Um, Kenyon Green, a really interesting one to me. He is just like a brute warthog that has kind of bad hands, but can really play the power game really, really well, can really bang around and play rugged and, and have heavy hands and thump and has great, you know, wide hulking frame and just plays so big um, and, and feels like best suited inside for him, but does have that versatility where you know you can probably get a better quality of play, not to take a shot at him, but then, you know, a Tyree Phillips or a lot of guys that end up playing tackle I think Green will play at a higher level if need be for a few games, but I don't think that's where you want him uh, for the duration of his career, most likely. But also wouldn't be shocked to see him be a right tackle and, and kind of stick there. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. Um, I, I, so one thing you hit on that I think is really important when we talk about him is in terms of fit for the offense, he just fits the offense like a glove. Um, so that part of it makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, and again, in a scenario where they, they know Stanley's going to be back, you know, it, it, and it's like, let's go solve left guard. There it is done plug and play, uh, you know, but between him and Zeitler, McCary's fine. Like it, McCary's not a liability anyway. 
uh, outside of any concerns with the snaps, but that you just solidified your offensive line. Um, but but what you kind of nailed on, just my concern overall, is if they get into worst-case scenario, it's not even about kicking the right tackle because now we kind of have two options there. And I do think James will be healthy. How long he stays healthy is the question mark. Um, but he, he, could, he could hop in at probably either tackle spot and get you through a game. Uh, he's just that type of battler. And I know we'll talk about it, you know, the true battler, the guy that we're both very high on later. But I, I can't underrate how important that is. Um, a guy that can get out there and just battle all game. It's literally what makes Patrick McCarry a tackle Patrick McCarry. Um, he just battles all game. He finds ways to win. Um, and that's what I saw in Kenyon Green's tackle tape is he just found ways to win. It wasn't always pretty. Um, it, it, you know, there's not, there's, there's things he needs to fix. I think you hit on it with hands. Um, I thought his, uh, I thought he would, uh, narrow set on guys quite a few times, create those, uh, short bend or yeah, short area bends. Uh, but, but still he battled, he didn't lose a lot of reps. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense with regards to Kenyon Green. Yeah. He's a, he's a favorite of mine. I think as you guys know, and uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, and just, you know, the, my favorite term that I keep coming back to, because the, the combine harvester in the run game, he's not even like the biggest guy, but he just looks like it when he's running through these SEC linebackers and everything. And he's just, I don't know, man, there's some, there's a tenacity about him, a great mobility to him and the versatility, just the willingness to say, yes, you know, Jimbo, I will move all over this line for you. He was, a, he was a five-star left tackle as a prospect too. Right, exactly. And that's not easy to like swallow your ego as a guy like that. Um, and so, yeah, he, he, I listened to interviews with him. He does seem like he has a good head on his shoulders. So he just seems like a complete prospect, just that like typical, like, and I'm not sure if this even has like a team kind of attached to it, maybe Ravens even to some extent, but just that typical, like late first rounder that just goes there, starts from day one and you just have a solid player for a decade. And, uh, he offers some, I think, plus athleticism and uh, versatility, like I said. So, yeah, I love him. I think he would be guard one for power teams and guard uh zion johnson be guard one for zone teams i think that's kind of how i look at the two yeah that makes a lot of sense to me definitely um and and the one thing with me for green is just the the coaching point is just a little more patience with his hand strikes he, he can afford himself so much time he has great recovery athleticism and an understanding of where to recover the way he can screw himself the most is being too aggressive with his hands um, and Cole, you mentioned sometimes with his base, you know, that gets off and his hands are too aggressive. He doesn't refit. He doesn't try to refit enough for me yet. Uh, but those are things that you can work out as trying to help someone continue to develop their pass or pass protecting plan overall. But the po- I don't want to, in terms of just versatility, and there's so many more guys that are, but and as a Ravens fan, you think of Marshall Yonda, but there's so many guys where they're going to be good because they're smart enough to figure it out at different positions. I don't know how to explain it properly, but battlers, I'm telling you, man, they battle, they figure it out. Hey, they just the same thing with, it's like, the same thing with a job. You hire people, you don't hire resumes. Like resumes get you in the door, but you hire, you hire the person that's going to be able to figure shit out. If you've out. got a good worker, this applies to the offensive line. If you've got a good employee, you know there's someone who brings value to your organization. You find the role for them, you know, let them fill where they can bring value. And to me, it just, I don't know. It just says so much about him, the way he's able to, to go in and some really high level situations against Bama and stuff um, and, and go play tackle when it's not what he had been asked to do and not where he had been developing. And I think it just shows like a primitive understanding or like a foundational high understanding of how to block people in football uh, at a very dumb statement level. It, it just shows something different. And we'll talk about Jamari Saylor 
a little later, but it just shows like they get it. No, I, I get what you mean. It's hard to explain. And it's all, I'll give you an example because he was listed and we'll get into him next here. A guy that I don't think has that battler instinct doesn't have that. And that's Bernard Raymond. Um, so Bernard Raymond and his pass sets are very, are very mechanical. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, first of all, he's 25 years old, but he's new to football. Um, so that, that's part of it. Um, and it's kind of what you guys are talking about. Kenny Green's been playing football his whole life. Um, you just kind of learn the game that way. Uh, you got the big Austrian who is newer to the game. And when he loses, it can look ugly because, um, he just doesn't have that, that part in his brain yet where he, he figures out ways to win even in a losing matchup. Uh, so it's it's just one of those things where it's really hard to like kind of explain, but you kind of know when you see it. So that's kind of what I see from Raymond. I know I'm lower on him than most. Um, I, we were talking off off before we before we started here, and I just said, uh, you know, I was low on him when we were in need of a right tackle because I was always looking for who could be a plug and play right tackle, but also provide depth at left tackle. Now that they've done that with Moses, I've shifted a little bit on Raymond where if they brought him, because I see him as a zone left tackle, um, I think his movement skills in the run game are pretty good. He doesn't have a lot of power. Uh, that's one of my critiques of him. He wasn't physically imposing as a 25-year-old. That didn't sit well with me. Um, if you're going to be older, you better be physically dominant. Um, so that was part of it. But now that it's like, okay, they may need a plug-and-play left tackle, not many of those kicking around, though this draft does have a few guys. Um, so I, that kind of elevated me a bit on him. So it's just kind of interesting to see how the changing dynamic of the team roster can lower or high heighten you on a certain player. So I still have Raymond pretty low, lower than most. Um, I have a few guys ahead of him, but, uh, you know, I, I think in terms of his left tackle ability, specifically his pass protection, uh, they could do a lot worse than him. I don't think he does a good job keeping his chest I think he gives up his chest too easily. He just, uh, I really have tried to find words like four different times throughout this process and I can't. He lumbers out of his stance and the angles that he allows kind of the more explosive rushers to take and something that did bother me at the senior bowl, it feels like he's setting himself up to like, he's worried about the inside counter and he's really proficient on inside counters, but he gives up the kind of, alley for a rusher to combat, keep their like side clean, give a half body to him and beat him with speed and beat him with explosiveness. He just is a weird mover to me, but he does have good feet. He kind of has this weird lean to him. I'm not, I don't know. I'm I'm not done with him and I can't find the words to explain it, but I like the word the zero line used and it's mechanical and it's because he's new to the sport. Like he's, it's, it's he's, he's he also taught. was a tight end when he came in and, you know, had to put on a lot of size. So, uh. yeah, I just, I just don't see it. Like, it's just, there's, there's so, again, I wanted to see a guy that went to the senior bowl and was physically imposing. Some of those kids are 22. He's 25. Um, it just it bugged me. It did, I can't explain it to you. It just did not sit right with me. I think with the full background, it's just not a guy that I'm willing to spend a first round pick on. Uh, which some people are talking about him for. But if he starts to fall, I'd be fine with that, especially considering, and you might have made this point while I was away there for a second, Cole, uh, about Stanley's health. So maybe, you know, as a developmental guy on like day two, I would like him. But yeah, it just, I didn't even really watch a ton of him. But what I did watch, it just, it to your guys' point, it looked like a guy who was relatively new to playing football and new to playing t- uh, tackle as well, which he is. Well said. Um, I have a third round grade on him. 
like a borderline fourth, like lower third round grade on him. I, I think he's like a top 100 player. Um, not not loving him in the first round. I just don't think it's clicked for him in his set point. And I feel like a lot of work needs to be done there. And if you're asking him to come play as a rookie, there are going to be edge rushers that feast on him, setting him up um, with with the ability to win on the outside track. I just don't don't think. I think he's very wary of losing inside. And as a left tackle, that can be a little different than a right tackle, but. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think he just gives himself up and I didn't see the improvement at the senior bowl. Um, navigates the run game. Well, navigates through traffic. Well, can move guys off the ball a bit. I, I think he kind of is a good pusher to steal, uh, James's word, good pusher in the run game kind of locks out, extends a little bit and, and does really want to try to be physical in points. But I, I guess, uh, Zerline's word mechanical. It's like, he's like, okay, now it's time to be physical. And then he executes it well. Um, good upper body flexibility and, and some things when he's in the run game, but just very laboring in the pass game for me. Uh, I guess that wraps it up on him, but another one moving on in, Penning, who is that borderline, you know, reach on need, it feels like for the Ravens with me. Um, six, seven, you know, 10 inch hands, 34 inches, six foot 10 wingspan, nasty, great in gap scheme. Um, you know, one of the better gap scheme fits uh, as a, as a tackle here, you, you see some ability to, uh, you know, snatch defenders who try to lean on him and, and he can drop his hips and anchor well and do some things. Um, and I get, we talked about a guy who similarly to Raymond was really old as a prospect. How old is Penning? Maybe 22, 23, Cole. Maybe he's 22, 22, uh, Garrett Bowles kind of does remind me of Garrett Bowles movement skill wise, uh, out in Denver and, and kind of maybe some of the struggles he had early on in working through a little bit of, of stiffness or uh, some some different limitations a little bit as he was continuing to unlock himself. But, you know, the nastiness, all of that stuff's there. The penalties also come with it. Um, would love to see him be able to kind of shoot hands, reset hands uh, a little bit. He plays high, hands get high. Want to see him keep just a little more balance. I'd rather have a little bit of high hands than your hands way too low. So it just uh, thinks it leads to missing strikes a bit, but... Um, some things to clean up, but ah, tough, 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 tough at 14 as well. Tough at 14 as well, unless you really are not confident in Stanley and Cross and Neil and Aquanu come off the board by the sixth or seventh pick and you didn't get any good opportunity to trade up, then it, it probably is a bit of a conversation, I feel like, in the Ravens' war room. I think he's an interesting guy because um, the nastiness is great but you need to be able to block the guy in front of you. And so I think when those clips came out from the senior bowl, I think people got too high on him. And then he starts going, you know, top 10, top six. Um, they have a couple mocks with like, I think seven tackles taken in the top, or sorry, four tackles taken in the top seven. And then, you know, people have come off him. They're worried about some of the concerns you've listed. And I think you summarized them really well. So I won't uh, be repetitive, but um, now I think people are too low on him. Uh, so it's kind of been a complete shift. Uh, I'm going to read, I, I don't tend to do this too much because, I mean, this is just a quote, but I think it's a quote at the bottom of Lance Zerlin's write-ups. He always puts, here's what I've heard or whatever. And he quotes, like guess, an area scout or a GM or whatever. And he put in Pennings, don't overthink it when you write him up. He's got size, length, toughness. He's smart. He works his tail off and loves to play football. This is what you look for in a starting tackle. And then I kind of sat back and I was like, 
Yeah, he's right. Like it, it, we're over, we're we're starting to overthink him. So there's there's a couple things here. Like he plays with outside hands. Outside hands can be a technique, but it doesn't look like it's always being a technique. So I think a lot of that came from he's his athleticism has improved, and I think you've talked about this uh, in the past where sometimes training for the combine itself will unlock athletic ability in and of itself. Um, and it's a good point because I think he was expected to test well, but if you go look at Bruce Feldman's chart, all those numbers he quoted, he smashed those. Like he was expected to maybe break five. He runs a four, eight. Nine. Usually on that freak list, it's like they come close to that, but don't. Exactly. And he, they don't he, run the four, the numbers um, that were listed in the freaks list. So that tells me that he was very well trained. And I mean, uh, what the hell's his name? Uh, Ryan Ryan Clanton out there in Northern Iowa. He knows how to coach those guys up. Uh, he worked with Duke at, at O Line Masterminds uh, previously, and I mean Spencer Brown absolutely shattered the combine too. I think he ran a four eight one. So you know, I think that was part of it, part of the testing numbers. I don't think those testing numbers show up on tape, uh, but it does make you kind of wonder. Okay, can did he unlock a little athletic ability? Um, can't believe you ran that three cone based on how he bent on tape. It, it shocked me. Um, but kind of what I saw in him and, you know, the competition is, is a factor, but he looked really good against Will McDonald from Iowa state, who I think had like 11 sacks in the, in the big 12 this year. So it's not like he didn't look good when he played good competition. You guys, my thing on one-on-ones, like you, it's, you either win or you lose a one-on-one. Like it's so they're fluid. They're not great. Offensive linemen and DBs are always disadvantaged in one-on-ones. Uh, you know, a, a receiver and a defensive lineman—they have nothing to read. Like, there's no, its just I'm gonna go and smash the shit out of them. So when you see Kyron Johnson jack up Trevor Penning, or you see Jesse Lucada jack up uh, Daniel Falale, um, it's because they—they're just gonna go out there and jack a guy up. They're not really thinking about anything else. There's um, also no objective, like the, there's no moving quarterback to go no, get. No, there's nothing to kind of is. And you'll see guys that do play for like the fake quarterback a bit, but it's like there's winning the block versus like getting a quarterback hit or a pressure or a sack um, or, or the context to it. So it's it's an interesting interesting comparison to like real life. It's like, it just you know, doesn't lose that way on tape. That's kind of where I'm coming from with yeah. that. But I do see the concerns. I didn't see him bend well. Um, I thought he flipped his hips too much when he was vertical setting, um, which is a bit of an athletic flaw because you're you're just you're trying to turn him around the corner um, and you're trying to guess. So when he when he flips his hips, he opens that inside pass, pass rush lane. Um, so things like that will get exposed at the next level if he doesn't fix them. Uh, when it comes down to it, he's prototypically sized. Um, he's got the meanness. He'll need to he'll need to channel that. Make sure he's not getting penalties. I don't think that's an, a huge concern. Um, but he, he's honestly, mean, he's long, he's the Ravens strong. take a couple penalties for for being nasty. Yeah, and I, I again, I, I, do, I, I think you summed it well. Fourteen's too rich. Um, but some people saying, you know, not a first rounder. Uh, you know, late first round. I think if you trade it back and took him at twenty, you're probably feeling really good. Um, played right guard in 2018, uh, 2019. Sorry for Iowa state. So he probably can give you a little bit of guard ability. I'd be a little bit worried about his pad level uh, on the inside against guys that can forklift them uh, and do it consistently just from a, you know, that tight alignment against two techs and whatnot. Um, so that kind of comes into play. But again, if everything turns out well for the Ravens and they traded back and took Trevor Penning um, 
and Stanley's back. Worst case, he's, he's your left guard next year. Um, don't think he's going to turn into a liability. It's going to give you a little bit of meanness. Uh, I love him in a power run game. I think that's not getting talked about enough in terms of the tackles. He's uh, outside of the top three. He's probably the best fit in their power run game. Yeah, he's uh, I like a Taylor Lewan comparison a little bit. I saw somebody throw that out, and I think it's a, a pretty salient one. Um, yeah, just nasty, and you know, he's technically sound enough. He's not like super athletic, I don't think necessarily, but he's long and he just he's a big body with, like you said, a good attitude. And don't overthink it. He's probably a first round talent, and uh, let's not let's not go too crazy. And uh, to your point about bringing a little bit of an attitude, I mean, they could probably use some more guys like that right now, if we could be honest. And uh, it would help them in an offense uh, where he would be a fit like that if he were playing guard, to your point there, Cole. I think that would be really fucking fun to watch. So, I, you know, it's a thing where I don't know if I love it at 14, to your point, but if they do trade down, I'm all for it. Well said. Well said. And then kind of moving in, that's that's kind of the guys that are all getting the first round buzz. Um, after that, it's, you know, Daniel Falele, Falele. Smith. Jamari Saylor, uh, Lasidus Smith out of Virginia Tech, Rashid Walker, Luke Fortner, Cole Strange, Cam Jurgens, Max Mitchell, Kellen Deesh, a, a lot of a lot of guys that are the the range of why a team could take any of those guys and where they could take them. I have a million possibilities in my mind, and nothing would surprise me. A lot of different body types, different skill sets, different experiences. Um, you know, athletes versus guys that maybe are, are more technically sound, things of that nature, inside versatile guys out, you know, guys that can play swing tackle, all kinds of stuff. So in that group, Cole, Jake, uh, of, of anyone else maybe that I forgot to mention, who who's standing out to you on, you know, day two as someone that you think maybe you're high, you're really high on or, or maybe the media should be higher on or whatever comes to mind. I'll give you a tackle, and it's it's Rasheed Walker, and you mentioned him on the timeline, so I hope that doesn't sound like I'm jacking him from you, but I've been on him since I did David Ojabo's tape, and he really popped. Uh, it was the first time I had watched him, and it was against Ojabo, um, and I was like, he's just shutting this kid down all day. Um, and it was the way he shut him down, uh, very nuanced and finding a set point. Um, that was the most impressive part. To really me. good bender. Really good bender. Um, and he's not ideally length. I think he came in like 33-inch arms, so he's above the threshold. Um, but not overly long, but played long. And so he just had a lot of nuance in his game. He was he was well-timed. Um, he had good footwork. Uh, you know, th- there's inconsistencies once I started digging into him. Uh, I think he got a little lazy in his set point times. It looked like, you know, I'm playing, I'm playing Michigan and they have – Ojabo and Hutchins and I got to turn my shit up. So, I mean, that's why you have to really dig into a few games to truly understand a player. Um, but yeah, he just, he has a lot of the tools that you kind of look for. Um, I think he's going to be ready to play sooner rather than later, uh, which I think is exciting. It looks like he could be a true swing. Uh, he's a little on the lighter side, but I thought he was pretty, pretty, uh, you know, Stout. pretty powerful in the run game. Uh, so, I mean, if they took him and that's kind of plan B at left tackle, I feel pretty damn good about that. And so that I'll give you that tackle and then I'll throw it to center. Um, a guy that I've been high on is Luke Fortner out of Kentucky. Um, scheme fit, big dude, um, you know, just, just a girthy individual. Um, that seems to be how Kentucky likes him uh, outside of Darren Rosenthal, who didn't necessarily have that, but Darren Kennard is that kind of guy. Um, 
and then Luke Fortner kind of at the center position. He's just a big wide, I think he's six, five, um, taller dude. Uh, so I, I think, you know, he plays a good power game. He doesn't give up a lot of, a lot of ground in, uh, in, in his past sets. Um, I snaps look clean. He's actually, you know, Zerlin has his, his NFL comparison as Matt Skurrow, which I found really interesting. So I'm assuming that's a, uh, NFL Matt Skurrow, but, uh, you know, he, again, and then he has, you know, he's regarded as a good leader, um, plays with, you know, like I said, he's got the adequate kind of body size that I think the Ravens would look for in a center. He, he was 6'4", 307, 33 and an eighth inch arms, 10 inch hands. It's kind of your prototypical center, um, but plays a good power game. Will do good on, on those down block situations where he has to drive guys one-on-one. Um, just seems like a really good fit for what they'd like. Yeah, I like uh, I like Walker kind of a lot as well. I think he would be a good sort of day two prospect where to the point we've been making about like kind of hedging against that ankle with Stanley, grabbing maybe a developmental guy or a guy that could jump in there in a pinch and maybe start for him. I think, you know, Walker is, I think nimble is sort of the word that I've seen thrown around that I think stands out to me with him the most. And uh, just kind of frisky. And I think a guy that uh, with the versatility, uh, I, I don't know if he actually did move around a ton for Penn State, but I feel like he would be able to, get in there at right tackle, maybe from day one, if needed, probably wouldn't be with the Ravens, but maybe you try him on the interior and just see if you can get some good football out of him as a day two pick. Uh, I want to say, yeah, I want to like my brother-in-law is a big Penn state fan. I want to say he turned me onto him. So that's why I watched, I think like one of his game. And then I'm shocked guys that we haven't talked about Daniel Falele yet. I mean, has he like, is, is this kind of one of the more meteoric falls? I guess we should say, because people were talking about him at 14 and now here he is in the day two conversation. Well, those people were crazy. So I'll say that from the get go. I never thought he was, I, I loved him. And I, I, I mean, so here's my thing on Falele. When I was on him big, it was when I, in the context of needing a right tackle um, and he made a lot of sense. That projection to a left tackle is just something I've really struggled with. Um, Cause there's just not a sample to work off of. I don't see him. I mean, he talked about it at the combine. He said specifically, quote unquote, I need to work on my vertical sets. Like he knows it. Um, and that's what the biggest transition between uh, his Minnesota tape, because they were, you know, a, a more of a run dominant uh, play action team. So he's just not doing a lot of it on tape. Um, and then he got to Mobile and they were like, you're going to vertical set. He got blown up a few times. Um, but when you watch his tape, when he's 45 setting, he doesn't like he, he does not have a bad anchor on tape. He just he just doesn't. He did at the senior bowl because he was learning to do a new technique. Um, it's really that simple. So how is that going to progress uh, when he? And so here's my thing. What I said with Rashid Walker, I do see him as being a guy that I could probably throw out there on day one if I had to and have a little bit confidence. But now we're taking a Daniel Falele, who's a developmental guy um, with a stupid high ceiling, like stupid high. But is he going to start day one for you at left tackle? Um, you know, maybe in a scenario where they did sign a treader or they had a different center that could come in and, and push McCario to left tackle, and that's your plan B day one. Um, but that's what just concerns me about Falele. Um, love his game though; like he's uh, he's wait. I, I can't get over how well he moves at that time. I don't, at that size, I don't care what he tested at the pro day. He plays more athletic than a five six forty and like a. I think his shuttle was really bad too. Um, he basically tested terribly. Uh, He's but he doesn't. 390 pounds. Yeah, and that that's. I still thought he'd test well at that size. I really did. Like he moves that well on tape. Like you go back to 2019, and he's 
mirrors mirroring you know micah parsons and inside zone and absolutely demolishing him in, in the open field and it's like okay this kid moves like he moves um so that's really but that's what it comes down to with philele um i've kind of switched from i need a right tackle who could maybe play left tackle to now i need a guy that may have to plug and play left tackle i have many many thoughts on philele i think the one thing that stands out the most to me is that it feels like as an edge rusher, and when I go back and try and watch like a Tyreek Smith or some of these guys he played against, it feels like I'm treading water. If I'm looking through the edge rusher's eyes in, against Minnesota's RPO, play-action-heavy, run-heavy offense, especially when Mo Ibrahim was in there, who can run the rock really well. Shame what happened to him with his injury. Awesome prospect ahead of that, but it feels like I'm trying to tread water with ankle weights on. And you watch guys rotate in over time, and try and go stick him when he is the, you know, he is the outside force or uh, he is, you know, front side on a play action or whatever it is. And someone will rotate in who hasn't been on him in 10 snaps and they'll stick him. They'll get right into his pads. They'll give him their biggest jolt. They'll stalemate him and, and they'll win that rep. They'll do a good job. They'll maintain their gap. And then he lines back up and he weighs on you and he weighs on you and he weighs on you. And in the NFL, will that go down? Yes. You know, whole conversation about how much technique he can improve, things of that nature. But he weighs guys down and moves bodies. And the weirdest part about it that honestly, I have a second round grade on him still. I still like him a lot. I will. Yeah. And just to be clear, I'm not taking that grade down. It's yeah, just my I have a whole dissertation on, on his snatch and trap, how he didn't use it at the senior bowl one time. It was his most effective move. I literally made a cut up of him snatching and trapping guys because they know I better get into his pads quick. So they want to shoot hands. And then he uses these freaking alien meat cleavers to come down on top of you and you fall on your face and then he lays on you. And the worst part about him of all of the, all of his negatives is he's like, it's like watching baby Huey as an offensive lineman. He will be dominating someone without trying that hard. And he's like, is the rep over? And he's like, not trying. Like Tyler Smith is like, I'm going to tackle this guy. And Nikki Aquano is like, I'm going to make you bleed. And Philele has already dominated you. And he's like, all right, I guess I'll like, you know, give him another shot. He's like, not a, he's not nasty at all, but he's still dominant. So that kind of like speaks to the potential that he has, but also if he was nasty, which he is not and probably never will be, like it, it, he's just an anomaly to me in that sense. It's Orlando Brown Jr. like because as much as people called him a, and I mean he he was a road grader in the sense that he could move bodies. But when he's down blocking, <laughs> you're moving. It's the same thing with Philele. If Philele leans on you, you're gonna be moved off the freaking gap. But he wasn't like a uh, he he what like Orlando Brown Jr. wasn't like a nasty run blocker. He just he was a technician. Um, he summarized it himself on the Trench Warfare podcast. Um, that was kind of the funny thing about the. It's just you see big man, big man move guy far. He's strong. He kill um, fire. Uh, that's kind of the the reputation that develops. But you just gotta watch how a guy plays, see how he wins. Um, it's kind of what made Orlando Brown Jr. so good in zone blocks. Uh, which ironically, I think Falele is a really good fit on a zone on a on a zone blocking team. He moves really well in space. Um, he connects. He knows how to angle. Uh, you know, his biggest issue Natural is feeling space for where the, where the rugby backer is going to have to get through him. But he's like a rugby player. Um, you know, those big dudes still have to play in space. So he's been doing it his whole life. Um, so I, I just, I, I'm still high on him. It's just, can he play left tackling if he has to do it day one, Kenny? And is that worth an investment in pick 45? 
That's really the question that I would need to have answered with a yes in order to take him. Because then you're going to have three right tackles and maybe no left tackle. I mean, they, have, they have like 15 right tackles right now. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, whoever takes him, the what what the Eagles did with Mylotta was they had him basically redshirt at right tackle for a year and then redshirt at left tackle for a year and then get a little bit of experience at left tackle, start to get a feel for it, and then suddenly he's a franchise left tackle with a gigantic, yeah. you know, extension and is a, you know, franchise left tackle. So Mylotta, a little more lean and all that stuff and you know more normally sized at six foot seven and only 345 pounds um but flele still like him a lot still think it, it's just there's he's an alien draft aliens and prosper will always be not a bad thing especially if he's there at like 68 or something or like 50, yeah. 59 you know not even the ravens just like i'm fine taking a guy like that there that i know maybe isn't immediately ready especially if you're like the you know, the Texans or a team that is rebuilding essentially. The, I mean, look at the, the Lions. They have Decker and Sewell for now. Probably would get along great with Sewell and can stick him behind those guys for a little while. Decker, Decker's a little older. Boom, suddenly you've grown yourself an incredible right tackle to pair with Sewell at left tackle, transitioning out of Decker. Um, that would be a really fun fit for him, you know, wherever the Lions have a pick in like the 70s or 60s or whatever it is. So I, I like Flaley a lot. Many anomalies to him. He bends at the knees well. Like Cole said, he does actually connect in space an incredible amount. Connects his block in space on a screen or an outside run or in zone flow. For his size, it is it doesn't make sense. So it, and the thing about Orlando Brown that reminds me is with speed rushers, he knows how long he is, and he will squat down and be like, I have 900-inch arms and just wash you around the arc, and you can't ever bend or turn or corner or anything. So... Uh, the bad parts, he gives up his chest all the time. Um, you know, he is super tall. He is still, you know, not the quickest guy in the world. He His vertical set, you know, he doesn't have that set point down pat yet, all of those things. But I just think you're getting an immediate impact run blocker if you do need to put him in a game. And I, again, the senior bowl, everyone makes a big hoopla. He was trying things that he wasn't as experienced. And you can tell he was taking coaching. <sighs> and it's it got so better. exhausting. It's so exhausting. Uh, and you saw him get better each day. Like, what are you guys watching? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, the next day after Miyage Sanders blew him up, he, he threw Miyage Sanders into oblivion. So um, it's only going to get better with time. He's very, again, I, I do believe in multi-sport versatility. I think it's important. And I think in t- to support a transition to left tackle, him having a rugby background, they have to be very, you don't have a dominant hand, a dominant stance. Um, it's, you know, it's a dexterity sport, so it, it does fit. Definitely. Well said. Um, guys that I like, we talked about Rashid Walker. To me, he just moves well. Um, hand usage still, you know, he can, he, another guy that always wants to hit you with two hands and locks himself out and leaves himself open to some chops and some swipes and things. Um, he really steers guys in the run game. He has great grip strength, gets up under you. He's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's not the shortest good pad level, good knee bender. Like we said, and just directs guys. Um, you know, you'll see him finish some stuff, put guys on the ground, but consistently moves guys off the ball. Um, Jamar, the final guys I kind of want to talk about Jamari sailor and Cole strange are two of my favorites. Um, in this entire draft class, two of my, you know, red star kind of guys. To me, Sailor looks like uh, if a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle only ate pizza 
or I guess they do only eat pizza, but ate too much pizza and got enormous and just has that kind of like back to him. Cowabunga. He just, he just moves his feet, cowabungas, and just wins, man. Lined up right tackle, right guard, left guard, left tackle. Um, had outstanding performances. The patience is awesome. The anchor is awesome. The strength, the hand grip, the grip strength, all the stuff is awesome. Um, can move some bodies in the run game a little bit. You know, is a little feels like he's a waist bender, not a knee bender. Um, so that's the thing I think he's going to be tested with. But every game he plays, he he's winning reps. He's winning reps. He's winning reps. I think you can play him anywhere. And if you are somewhat iffy, you know, uh, I think he's a guy that. Uh, you can you can kind of cater your offense to as a rookie can play a little left tackle for you is just playing against Bama and championship games and holding his own and Michigan and Ojabo and Hutchinson and all these guys. So I think if you need him at left tackle in year one, I think he can give it to you. You go and give him some chips here and there and a little bit of help um, as you would with Moses. And I think you can survive there a little bit. But I think in a multiple run scheme like the Ravens have and a guy that has that kind of versatility and just figures out how to win. That's why I like him and Walker and Cole Strange, they win reps against good players all the time. Um, they will lose, a little and they'll come different. right back at it and win another rep for you. So battlers, those are my three battlers. I, I love it. And the thing about Sailor is, and like Georgia's run team, you know, they run a lot of play action, so he's not a, a big true set guy, um, but he was ranked third uh, in pass block efficiency with a 99.2%. So you can't really ignore that. Um, anytime he had to pass block, he did well. Um, and I don't know. I have this soft spot for battlers. Like they just, like I said before, they find ways to win, and he's one of those guys. Um, but he's going to come in. He's going to be kind of a, a better version, in my opinion, a higher traits version of Patrick McCarry, where he can play all five spots. And why the hell not have a guy like that? Um, you you get this type of flexibility. Um, you know, in, in 2019 alone, he played 150 right tackles, 60 right guard, 12 center, and 33 left guard. And then he played 581 and 517. Can switch in a drive fluidly. Like, he doesn't keep your, yeah, it's, it's freakish. So it's it's really, again, when I'm going to put my money down on someone to develop, to be able to do something for me in a pinch, give me the guy that's out there battling. Uh, it, they just find ways to win. It's, it's really that simple. I pulled. I just pulled up uh, Brandon Thornton's Bleacher Report. Sellier is built like a refrigerator. That also applies. That's what gives you a little pause when you're watching him. You're like, this guy does not look like an athlete. He kind of like Deontay Brown almost, but he kind of is more of that like strong bull than Deontay Brown was. Brown, another finesse guy, and wherever he is, Carolina. I don't. I don't know if he played much, but uh, Sellier's got length. He's not, not a super tall guy, and just. He's gonna win a lot of reps, man. He's he's given up one sack in three years. He's given up two QB hits in two. So years. underrated in this class. I'm pretty sure he was like the uh, the guard one in uh, his high school class. So six um, eight wingspan, you know, thirty three five inch inch arms. He's only like six two and three quarters or something like that. So he's lower with with decent length, um, decent pad level. Anchors just crazy well, man. So uh, those guys to me just just win reps no matter who they're playing. They give you four pretty good quarters of football while they might not be a dominant player. Yeah, I like uh, Strange the most of that group that you mentioned. I haven't watched Salier. I guess I will at some point. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think Strange is another kind of day two guy. And um, the Ravens have actually mentioned him at one point. Uh, or not the Ravens, but their general manager. Um, this guy's a little bit different. Yeah, so there's uh, <laughs> EDC uh, singled him out at the Senior Bowl, obviously. So we know that. That clip is nuts. <laughs> oh, I killed you. 
This guy's a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, what, what a true content king, by the way. We, we, we don't give that guy enough credit for just being <laughs> right get, in front of the, get in front of the camera, get in front of the mic, and just be, be absolutely electric. But, uh, I don't know, it just strange just seems like a compact, just brick shithouse with, you know, quickness and kind of short area athleticism, which I like a lot. And uh, I think would project well to a Ravens offense would be really fun to watch. And he's, you know, tall and looks pretty long on, on film. So I like Cole Strange a lot to that point. He's got a mean outside strike, um, physical player. He's always got his head on a swivel, has taken some center, a lot of center reps. It looked like looked really comfortable at center at the senior bowl, um, which, which is why he's so intriguing to me. Ultimately, uh, him and Ben Cleveland get along great. Cole, Cole interviewed him. They're just guys a little boys. bit different. Uh, and I think, I don't know, he's, he's, he really drives his feet. He keeps his feet engaged and, and moving and active and ready to continue working through the whistle, always through the whistle. In pass pro, it feels like he's a good knee bender and mirror well, um, stay in front of his target really well. He can do the drill at the combine where you're just, you know, chasing, chasing a rabbit, whatever it's called. Um, that kind of mover really smoothly to me. Um, I, I, I think he's, I think he had like a 9.6 RAS or something, tested crazy well too, and just seems like he's a smart dude uh, that keeps it simple and and finishes reps time and time again. So I like Strange a lot. Would love him as a center option. Uh, late Cam Jurgens, the other guy I like, is a, is a day, kind of late day two, early day three center. He battled the hell out of Javon Kimlon to 2018 as a true freshman. Uh, that's, that's some fun tape. Uh, he's just, again... He's a guy that's a battler, but he also comes with a very, very high um, set of traits. And, you know, I, I think the only thing that hurt him was just being out of small school. He didn't get the exposure. Um, and ironically enough, Lance Zierland, who's his player comparison, J.C. Treader. Um, and he does look like the kind of guy that's going to excel as a pass protector. Um, I think he's going to really settle into that role. He looks intelligent. He looks tough. Um, you know, he had in, in his zone blocks where I don't think he played as athletic as he tested, um, in my opinion, but he just found ways to win. He played very smart angles, that sort of thing. Um, so really impressed with that sort of, uh, that sort of approach. Um, I do think he has center guard versatility in Baltimore's offense. I do see him as a center though. Um, I think he's just doesn't have quite the body composition to be a guard, um, six, five, three Oh seven makes a ton of sense as a center. Does it make sense as a guard? Um, I mean, they just draft a guy that was three fifty six. Ben Bredesen, I think was three twenty. They, they typically like bigger. Ben Bredesen looked tiny at camp around yeah. everybody else. Yeah. So I, I think he's, I think he's a center in their scheme, but again, he'll get out there and battle. He'll be able to do, I, I just think if they draft him, he's probably going to compete for that center job on day one type type situation. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm, he's going to be coming on, on the channel to do a, to do a film breakdown. Um, so I had a few conversations with him. just a really polite kid. Like, I mean, I'm some random YouTuber. He doesn't give a shit about me, but very polite, like very appreciative that I was reaching out to him. And I was like, no, no, sir. Thank you. Um, so just, just a good kid um, kind of matches everything you, you, you see said about him. Uh, I think he'd be a hell of an option would take him as early as, I mean, I don't want to get into draft strategy because I know that's not why we're here, but if you came away from your third round with, you know, Rasheed Walker at 76 and Cole Strange at a hundred, how good are you feeling? hundred um, percent. Strange just put on a show at the senior bowl to me and 
lined up anywhere, beat beat guys, and didn't have the belly or the hair or the you know woodland freaking workouts of a Quinn Miners, but um, had had just about as good of a Senior Bowl in my mind. Uh, the final two guys I want to talk about, uh, I do want to highlight Cam Jurgens a little bit, who Tyler Linderbaum at 14 or Cam Jurgens at, you know, 100 is a tough conversation uh, to try to have, I think. I, I see a lot of similarities. I, think. I don't find it that tough. I think it's a pretty easy conversation. But I'm with you. I'm very – I'll let you go, but uh, – Yeah, I mean, even, even maybe a 76. He, he plays for all of the things I do like about him and a lot of the similarities he does have uh, – plays with a very nervous, frenetic energy at times, and I think can get out ahead of himself a lot. And I don't know if that's something that's going to go away. I, I, there is just a little bit of a nervousness to him in in the general gist, and, and that leads to more misses, overextending in space a little bit at times, but the athleticism is insane. He's twitched up, independent hand usage, uh, You know, gets up under bigger blockers really well, quick, stays low, pop, pop, and, and is fighting his ass off um, still a better zone center, still a, definitely a better zone center ultimately. But I think he has a little bit more ability and length and size and, and just, just natural size to be able to deal with some of the issues that a NFL nose tackle presents, possibly the Linderbaum, uh, definitely has some more length, but he, he runs, man, he runs. He's also really fun to watch in space. Really, really fun tape. And I think uh, it was either the Draft Network or Brandon Thorne they had an interesting comment where they said, does everything he can to anchor and does a great job of dying slowly, which is a really interesting way to put it. I think it might have been Brandon Thorne, but... That's how my describe me. Like Hunter yeah, S. Thompson writing up his scouting report? What's going on? I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe he's been listening a little bit too much cute without the E, but... <laughs> Jurgens, Jurgens does everything he can to die slowly, and you just appreciate the hell out of it. I know he did have some snapping issues in 2020. He had like, I think one or two bad snaps. Then Nebraska fans collectively lost their shit, a la Pat McCary. So relatable there. Completely fixed it. Didn't have any issues last year, and tends to be like a one-off, two-off thing at times, um, especially if you're someone that has a lot of experience at center, but. Really, if you haven't watched Jurgens, really fun to watch. But again, I just think there's a little bit of nervousness or uh, frenetic energy to his game that does give me a little bit of, of caution ultimately in, in the way he approaches just general blocking. Very nice. Yeah, no, very well said. And I'll just sum him up really quick. I put him through the same process that I put Linderbaum through. Tried to Because I agree, he's his own, looks like his own fit. But what I tried to do was the same thing dial in on you know those drive block situations those one-on-ones um and i thought he i thought he hand, handled it better um i actually thought he down blocked a little bit better nebraska does a little bit of it so it's not that it was completely foreign really the only time i saw iowa run a, a gap concept was in their wildcat like they didn't even run it as a core principle nebraska ran a little bit of versatility so even though he is undersized i think he's six three three oh four or something like that which is small for what the ravens look for he held up in those scenarios, which is what makes me feel more comfort. Definitely. And then the last guy I think is probably the most polarizing of this entire class to sum it up with. Wow. We're running long here. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Let's, let's one, get one more guy out of here and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Absolutely. Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. Uh, very intriguing. I think we alluded to him a bit. I think uh, the the same things that you see about an Ikki Aquanu or a 
Linderbaum or a, or a penning, I should say, get people fired up about the tenaciousness that Smith finishes with. Um, to me, and this is something Cole and I had discussed previously, I see a lot of Alex Leatherwood, like power five Alex Leatherwood to his game. I think that the hands are out of control. Um, I don't know how you can get that far into college football with still hanging your arms around your knees and keeping them in such a low carriage and so ready to lose, essentially. It doesn't make sense how it hasn't happened to some degree where he's improved his hand usage. Leatherwood, I made the mistake of thinking, all right, well, his hands are too high and messy and his strikes are a little out of control. He doesn't have a good feel for it, but that's just his hands. You can clean his hands up. And then he goes to Las Vegas and then his hands are still out of control and they have to kick him inside. And he still is having the same problem when kicked inside. Um, so, you know, you do like to say, I can fix the feet. I can't, or I can fix the hands. I can't fix the feet um, as easily, but the, the hands are about as bad as it gets and it's consistent and it's nonstop. And he was in an offense in Tulsa that number one will be similar to the Ravens where it's RPO, it's play action, a lot of that stuff, which helps hide those problems, but they're still there and he's underdeveloped there. And then you, you know, as, as Cole will bring up, you go look at uh, Chris Paul, the right tackle, not having those same issues with his hands. Why is Tyler Smith having these issues with his hands? So um, very young, one of the youngest players in this class. You know, a three-star prospect has some of the most dominant run tape in the last couple of years in terms of blowing guys up and um, doing some crazy things. Awful tape against Houston. Had a really, really, really bad game against, I um, can't remember the guy's name, Ania or something like that. But uh, I, I think I'm a lot lower on him. I would rather, I have Rashid Walker with a higher grade. I think I'm a lot lower on him than a lot of other people. Uh, I like Salier better as well at this point in time. And I'm, I'm probably going to go with that ultimately, but... Smith, you know, if that gets cleaned up, does have elite potential. Yeah, and that's I, like best way to explain it. Someone's like, "What's wrong with his hands?" I always say, "He's got his hands in his pockets," and that's kind of the best way to explain it. Um, he comes out of his snap, and his his hands are at his hips, and it's like, "What, what are you doing?" Um, and Brugler and Zerlin brought this up. Uh, you know, when you see Chris Paul playing with clean technique, and then you see Tyler Smith not improve it at all. How? How if 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 they're if those coaches at Tulsa got one guy playing a certain way, why didn't the other? And so I try not to speculate on coachability because what the hell do I know? Um, but that that's a very concrete piece of evidence to suggest that could be like like you're saying, like some guys, you know, it is easier to fix hands and feet. Some guys just you can't fix because they're not coachable. Um, so you do have to wonder how much of that will play into a factor here. Um, but you know, he's I think uh, you know. Michael Crawford said it best, uh, and, and Chris Aguilera as well. You know, he's your your great value, uh, Trevor Penning. If you want the nastiness, if you want to risk a little bit of the holding and, and unnecessary roughness, but you want to get the tone setter, the guy that's going to battle, all that stuff, just take him in the second round instead of Penning in the first. Um, and I think that makes sense. It's just how can you fix those hands? Why haven't they improved? Um, he's a guy that I would imagine all teams are going to be talking to his coaches, trying to figure that part of the puzzle out. Um, cause there's just a lot of projection going into that. Certainly, um, bear hugs guys, man. And when you're, when your fastball is just being wild and physically dominant with such poor technique that just doesn't scream applicable to the NFL as opposed to playing, Cincy or, you know, some of these other teams that he was able to, you know, Houston, that he was able to do these things, but the explosiveness is there. It's just, it's like, 
It's like he is an eighth grader playing with sixth graders at times that has not played football before, but he's really freaking strong and he's a really mean kid and and he dominates in that sense. But I, you know, go do that to Miles Garrett in the AFC North. Go go do that to TJ Watt or whoever. Um, you're, you're not gonna. It's not, it's not how you beat them. You need to be a technician in that sense. So uh, kicking inside makes sense. Again, I, I think he's power five, Alex Leatherwood. I think I'm going to settle with a fourth round grade on him. I, I think I'm a lot lower on him than most. Um, I, I just don't get the the hand stuff and kind of just the overall erratic play is not something that that I desire uh, within my within my defense. And I just think the NFL edge rushers are so much stronger, so much more stout and thick and built and quick that they're just going to eat his chest alive. Um, gives up his chest more than Daniel Flaley does. Like, Frankly. I think he's going to lose a lot early, and that's what kind of scares that me. Will be going what back to the career. If he gets on the conversation, he loses early. Had. How does he respond? Yeah, and and it's just like I I might need a guy to play day one. So who's that guy that's ready to go? And is it the guy that's playing with his hands in his pockets? Comes down to that. Agreed. Um, so not someone I'm super high on at this point. I'm going to go visit. I think I only watched three games, but I'll, I'll try and watch a couple more. Maybe watch some older tape of his. But I think that uh, I think about wraps it up for this offensive line class for me. Uh, this is uh, the longest episode in the history of the the beatdown big board. We haven't had the boy Cole on in quite some time. The offensive line lover himself. We both do, my friend. And uh, the, I think we covered it all. I think we covered a lot of it. And the Ravens will probably draft someone like a Max Mitchell that we didn't get to or someone that we did not discuss. But uh, with that being said, I think it's time to try and pick four for this poll. What do we think, fellas? I'm feeling it kind of feels like as far as first round options go, I think we kind of settled on the idea of cross or penning at 14. So do you guys think those are two good spots to start? I'd say so. Throw them on there. We'll throw Linderbaum on. People do love Linderbaum. There are a lot of people that just want to see that center position eaten up. There are a lot of people that think he's the best center prospect in quite some time. All of that good stuff. And I guess that leaves us with a fourth to pick. I'd give it to Green, I think. Yeah, I think Green is probably the... Comes down to what I said. Like, you could argue Zion's better, but I think in a gap offense, he's guard one. So I think the Ravens... I'm thinking Green green. or do you want to do Falele day two option? I think we do Green. Okay. I think we do green. Okay. Uh, green and a trade like, down is what I should write. No, nah, just let, let's throw green in there. I don't think, I, okay. I think he's a really good guard prospect. Like Cole said, I think Cole nailed it. And for a gap scheme, he's going to be a monster in a gap scheme as a left guard. Um, so I, th- I think that's like guard one, center one, tackle three and tackle four probably. And are all should be realistic options. And I don't, I don't, it wouldn't be. There are crazier players that would not shock me as, or would shock me more than if the Ravens took Green at fourteen. He's not. I don't think the most shocking pick they could make at fourteen. I mean, uh, people would be pissed. I don't think I'd be one of those people. Yeah, you know, I'd love that. I mean, it, it might it would surprise me. I don't know if it would shock me to your point. Uh, but yeah, okay. So we got Charles Cross, Trevor Penning, Kenyon Green, and who was our fourth there? I'm sorry. Tyler Linderbaum. Linderbaum. Right. Okay. Linderbaum. So. That is it. There you have it. Running on an hour and 34 minutes here. So, uh, yeah, I guess to our point, that is uh, just about time to get out of here. Covered a ton of prospects here. I don't know if we went necessarily as deep into some of the later rounds as we did in a couple of the first few episodes, but this is a top-heavy position. It's a position of need, and, uh, you know, it's just stacked this year. So I think uh, the fact that 
we focus more on day one and day two guys is going to be prescient because we're probably going to be seeing the Ravens take one of these guys uh, or somebody in that range. Uh, so they'll draft Andrew Stuber. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. Or, or they just won't draft another one again and then they'll take a, take a fullback or a punter in the fifth round. And, you know, the next stone Forsyth. we're going to be Cole's going to be firing off his takes and the, you know, just getting that, uh, the, the Tim Hortons branded uh, fucking rocket launcher out and just, you know, just it's just going to be another one of those years. Maybe it will be. I hope not. One, one thing I miss about going to the office is I haven't had Tim Hortons in a very long time. I've Horton never had it. Hortons. I've never had it. Thanks so much for having me on, guys, though. Love it. Love you guys. Um, except for Spencer. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah. But, but so love, go ahead and uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, plug your your opera that little podcast. You still doing that, by the way? Uh, the yeah, YouTube that little show? that little man up north that has the podcast uh, yeah. at Cole Jackson. Oh yeah, you see, we're up here in Canada. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was at really Cole good. Jackson FB, two guys watching football. Uh, come join me. You can be one of the two guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yep, Cole is doing great stuff over there. He has been for quite some time now. If you're not consuming his content. That is your loss, so get on that if you are not, and uh, appreciate you guys listening to us tonight. Uh, yeah, it was it was a fun one. Uh, coming out on a Wednesday, my computer officially fixed now, so we're going to be fine here moving forward uh, as far as production goes, so hopefully we're going to get back into the, the regular rhythm as far as scheduling goes with more early in the week episodes, but that is why we released on Wednesday. We'll probably be back on Friday if more news breaks. Ravens have been talking to Bob Wagner uh, pretty I, I don't know how to describe it. I guess we'll get into it. Maybe we can just put a moratorium on that until something officially happens there. But uh, the the news has been trickling slowly, just an absolute slow bleed on that. So we'll probably have a resolution on that come Thursday night. So I think we will be uh, having an episode out for you on Friday. Uh, but in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. You can follow Spencer at Ravens for Dummies. That's a number four in the middle. I am at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Beat Down Big Boy rolls on. This was the third one. We got the fourth one. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I'm sure it's going to be a fun episode next week. Thanks again. We'll talk to you later. See ya. Arrivederci. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Super Bowl out of me. Need that. Need that.